Well, good morning. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Community Church, and I'm really glad that each and every one of you is here with us today. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I am thrilled that you're here. It's good for me to be back. Kim and I had the opportunity to go uh, someplace where it wasn't snowing and get a little rest and relaxation, but it is good to be back. Really appreciate the work of uh, Brad and Dean while I was away. Just brought us some, some good words, and, uh, but it's good, uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. And one of, uh, one of the things that you've heard the last couple weeks is you've heard some stories uh, about serving in our family ministry. And you've, you've seen some of those testimonies, and we've, we, we've cast a little bit of vision for that. And uh, today, I just want to continue to encourage you uh, to take that step if you're interested. And you feel the Lord may be saying, hey, I can, I can serve here. Uh, there's something about good intentions and that, that we can all have sometimes. And sometimes it's good to just take that step and say, hey, here's an opportunity, and I'm going to take that step. So if you're interested in serving in our family ministry and you want to know more, you can simply go out uh, into the lobby and pick up one of these little cards and fill it out and check the area that you're interested in serving. Uh, Jess, uh, our middle, middle school pastor, will be back there and can answer any questions that you have. So uh, I don't know about you, but I'm excited about the next generation. I'm excited about the next generation. I heard a story uh, several weeks ago of a family who started coming to church. Why did they start coming? Because their little kid said, Mom, Dad, I want to know about God. And they're all learning together. It's a beautiful picture, and we want to be able to help more and more kids, more and more families learn about the hope of Jesus. Well, before we dive in, uh, let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your love, for your goodness to us. Father, even as we sang to give us your heart, we ask that you would align our hearts to yours. Lord, we acknowledge that we live in a broken, dysfunctional world. Whether it's banks that are crashing, uh, kids being shot in our city, diseases that are ravaging bodies, whether it's division, whether it's dysfunction, brokenness, whatever it is, Lord, help us to see you clearly this morning. Help us through the power of your word, the power of your spirit to see. Holy Spirit, be our teacher this morning. I ask that my words are clear, that they're helpful, that they bring you glory and honor, and that you would burn off whatever doesn't do those things. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we finish our series, our little mini-series in the life of Joseph, and we've titled this Faith in Dysfunction. And today we're going to talk about the hope of reconciliation. What a beautiful word, reconciliation, of being brought back together in relationship. We've been learning from Joseph an incredible story. One of the things I've observed about Joseph is uh, Joseph seemed to figure it out at a young age. 
Like at 17, he's in all this conflict with his brothers, and uh, he seems to have a pretty fast learning curve. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm a really slow learner. And I need to be beat over the head a few times. God has to teach me through challenges and trials and tribulation and all those things. I wish I could learn a little bit quicker. Amen? Joseph is a quick study. His brothers and his dad, I don't know. But we're going to talk about that this morning. Um, if you haven't been with us, just a quick, uh, quick recap. Last couple of weeks we've been looking at Joseph. A few weeks ago, uh, Dean gave us a great word about Joseph being down but not out. That is, Joseph was thrown into the pit as Joseph was in prison. He still trusted God and was able to see God at work and God being with him even at the low points. And then Brad last week talked about a faith that is moving forward as Joseph's life, his circumstances start to change as he moves forward. He's able to see that it's not just about him, that there's a bigger picture, that God is at work not just in his life, but he is blessing the lives of those around him. So as you might recall, Joseph has been in the business of interpreting dreams. And Pharaoh has a dream, uh, a, a couple of dreams, and, and the, the, the message in the dreams is that there will be seven years of prosperity in Egypt and then seven years of famine. And we're in year two of the famine, and Joseph's family, his father Jacob, also known as Israel, and his brothers... Uh, need to buy some grain. So they've, they've come a few times to Egypt, and we have this long, drawn-out process in Genesis 42 through 44, where there's multiple trips back and forth to buy grain. Joseph instantly recognizes his brothers, the ones who tried to kill him, the ones who threw him in the pit. And whether Joseph's in the process of being part of their own sanctification, their own growth, or he's just messing with them, I think it's a combination of the two in some ways. But we see this process, and we're going to get to this moment in today's chapter where we see this reconciliation. We see Joseph finally reveal himself and bring about some level of reconciliation with his brothers. And we see a continued fulfillment of this big idea that we started out with in week one, is that when you give up trying to sit in God's seat, you can begin to see more like God. Well, I want to pick it up in uh, chapter 45, verse 1. Now, we are reading a narrative. We are reading a story. That doesn't mean it's not true, any less true than anything else, but we read a narrative, a story a little bit differently than we might read one of Paul's letters. We want to pay attention to detail. We want to pay attention to characters in particular. This morning we're going to pay attention to not only Joseph, but his brothers and then his father's response. So here we go, 45.1. Then Joseph 
could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life, for the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have Do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your beast and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons, according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the goods of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went out out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Let's make a few observations from the story. Let's first of all see what we can learn from Joseph. Now, on the one hand, Joseph gives us this almost like textbook, picture-perfect 
vision of faith. Joseph seems to have this unwavering faith that God is in charge of his life. I mean, he tells his brothers, don't be distressed, don't be angry with yourselves for trying to kill me because God had a purpose in it. That's amazing to me that he can have that perspective. I want to give us a word of caution, though, as we look at this. Because so many times when we, we, we read the Bible, and again, I want to remind us that the Bible is for us, but it's not written directly to us. We have to be careful when we make application. Sometimes when we look at, okay, difficult circumstances, how is God working? I'm looking to see how God will work. And I'm going to go right to Romans 8.28 and say all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That is true, but that's not the whole truth of how that works. And I want to just pause here a moment because I know know for a fact some of you right now are struggling. You're going through really hard stuff. You're mourning loss, you're battling stuff. There's relationships where there's distance. And you're saying, where is God in all this? Joseph seems to have this, almost this Midas touch where everything he touches turns to gold and it works out for the best. But how does that work in your life and in my life? God is always working. God is always working, but that doesn't mean that circumstances always turn out the way we want them to, how we want them to, and when we want them to. The truth of God's word that he is with us, but that doesn't mean every broken, dysfunctional relationship will be reconciled in this lifetime. Faith is not trusting in God as long as he does what you want him to do. How do we know this to be true? All we have to do is take a right in our Bible and go to Hebrews 11 where we see this list of all these heroes and heroines of the faith. The writer says, by faith, some conquered kingdoms, some shut the mouths of lions Sometimes God raises people from the dead, but then in verse 35, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute persecuted, and mistreated. How about health, wealth, and prosperity right there? The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. Even Joseph, for all of his great, I mean, what faith? 
What faith to forgive? What faith to be used by God to to bring about salvation? Literally life for an entire nation. But yet, what is he commended for in Hebrews 11? He's commended because he spoke about the Exodus. He's commended for his belief that God would give his descendants the promised land. That's what Joseph is commended for. His ability to see beyond the circumstances and see what God would do. And that is our hope, friends. That's our hope. God is working now. He is working in your life and in mine and in ours. And there is a greater day to come. God has given us an eternal inheritance, an eternal place, an eternal relationship with God. I had the opportunity to attend, um, actually be a part of a couple different funeral services this week, just attended uh, the service of uh, Vicki Lake this past Thursday. Several of you I know were here for that service, and uh, Vicki was the wife of Pastor Charles, founding pastor of the church, and uh, by all accounts, the real deal, the real deal of faith. And one of the beautiful things that was shared at the service was Vicki was a great friend to lots of people, but Jesus was her best friend. Jesus was her best, that was no other relationship compared to her relationship with Jesus. Fought an awful, horrific battle with cancer, all kinds of stuff. Some of you know that battle. You've, you've walked with people through that. So from a circumstance standpoint, it didn't quite work out. But Jesus was always and is always her best friend. And that's what really invigorated all of her other relationships. Sometimes you go to funerals and there's everybody's grasping for some evidence of a faith story. Those are really hard. I've officiated at those services. They're hard. There's a lot of despair. There's a lot of angst and sadness. There's not the joy underneath that just bubbles out when you know somebody's walked with Jesus and been a friend with Jesus for a long time. And you know that it's not goodbye. That's just the reality. Now, the question I want to ask you today is, are you trusting in the presence of God or the probability of favorable circumstances? Are you trusting in the presence of God that he is always working? Or are you trusting in the probability that things will work out the way that you want them to. Presence or probability? I want to give you a way to think about this. We're going from serious funerals to a lighthearted turn. Let's talk about March Madness. How many of you are really invested in the tournament? Nobody's in, nobody cares, nobody, fine, I'll just use a different illustration. How many of you are going to fill out a bracket? How many of you are going to have money on the line? Don't, you don't have to confess in church. 
How many of you are really annoyed because somebody else in your household is going to be preoccupied with this thing for a long time? You don't have to point. I want you to think of probability and I want you to think of presence. March Madness is a probability game, is it not? You fill out the bracket, you look at all the percentages, who's going to win? I love sports, I love coaching, coach football for lots of years. I've told this story before, but you, you, it just makes it so clear. Uh, never forget the time I was coaching and uh, our kid kicked a field goal, like a super long field goal, it hit the crossbar and just went over. And our head coach said, if you didn't believe in God before that, you got to believe now. And I'm like, coach, that's some really bad theology right there. So is God not good? Is he not for us if he doesn't make? What about the other team? I got all kinds of questions. But are we depending upon the probability of things working out the way we want them to or the presence of God with you? So here's my actions. Whenever you see that bracket, I want you to make a mind shift. Whether you care about it or you don't care at all. When you hear about the tournament this week, I want you to think, not probability, but the presence of God with you. We did this little spiritual growth inventory. Some, some people say, one of my obstacles is I'm busy, 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 busy. I don't have time. I get that. There's a time to set aside time for prayer, for Bible study. And let's have a mindset that just says our everyday lives, I can grow as I watch basketball. I can have a mindset shift as I engage in my everyday life. God can work through it all. I'm not giving you an excuse to not read your Bible, say I'm just being spiritual as I'm watching eight hours of basketball today. I'm not saying that. But let's use it all to change our mindset. Now, let's talk about Joseph's brothers. What can we learn from his brothers? One of my questions is what do they actually tell dad? Do they actually tell him the whole story? I don't know. I don't think, I think it, there's some ambiguity. There's some, some places where he said they had a conversation. We don't, we don't have it all. But we do have this at the end, Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Don't you get it? His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. What can we learn from the brothers? What did the brothers do to earn Joseph's forgiveness? 
Nothing. It's grace. If ever there were unmerited favor, it's from Joseph. Sometimes we think it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. I think that's one of the lessons, quick lessons we can learn from the brothers. Can we accept that? Can we really grasp the goodness and completeness of God's forgiveness? Of our transgressions, our breaking of trust, of our sins, of missing the mark. Can we really see the depth of his forgiveness? Or do we just do like the brothers and go back and say, oh, I, don't, I don't really believe it. Can it be that good? Now let's talk about Jacob. What can we learn from Jacob? I believe there's a little nugget in here in verse 26. I want to take a few minutes on. It says, uh, 45, 26, the second part of that. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. Jacob, Israel, has a numb heart because he didn't believe them. Now, quickly, he's going to be revived. We'll talk about that in a second. But I want to, I want to use this as just a, a little microcosm for all of us. Sometimes we can have a numbness of heart. Jacob, on one level, simply stunned at the news. At another level, though, his response reveals something that I believe we can learn from. I want you to consider a heart level numbness for a moment. Sometimes this can happen in life. Our dysfunction, the things that are broken, can lead to a numb heart. I want to give you a few buckets to think about with that. The first one is is unbelief. Sometimes I can have the right information and even mentally assent to that and say, yes, I believe that's true, but not trust. I have a dysfunctional water heater right now that needs some attention. And I've been delinquent in giving it attention. I heard from a neighbor whose brother is a world-class plumber that in the state of Indiana, there's all this sediment that can accumulate at the bottom of a water heater. And if you were to drain it every now and then, you wouldn't have to wait till the thing broke. That's right information. I have that information. I believe it's true. But I have not taken that step of trust and followed through. If I don't do that soon, it's going to be ugly. And what would be an easy job is going to be a difficult job. Sometimes unbelief keeps us from actually taking the steps that will lead us in the right direction of health. Sometimes it's circumstances. It's tragedy. It's compassion fatigue. It's numbness. Sometimes it's relational hurt. It's pain, it's fear, it's numbness. And sometimes, friends, I just got to tell you, it's just sin. It's just sin that creates calluses on our hearts. These repeated patterns 
A loss of sensitivity to the consequences of sin. Separation from God, loss of effectiveness. David says this in Psalm 38.8. He says, my wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble. It's the same word for numb here. And utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. Sometimes that's our condition. Now let's get to the good part here. Jacob is revived. He says, but when they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father, Jacob, revived. He goes from numbness to revive. For, for him, it's just a matter of moments. For us, sometimes it can be decades. But how do we go from numbness to revival? Well, I want to take you to Romans 5 quickly as we end. As you're turning there, I want you to think of revival for a minute. Some of you have paid attention to the revival at Asbury College. Some of you have ties there. One of my favorite stories about this revival is, you know what kicked the thing off? A mediocre message from a pastor. I I love that. It wasn't like, wow, this guy gave the sermon of all sermons. It was really kind of a, eh, whatever. Revival is a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit. And quickly, just Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That, friends, is the promise, the hope of reconciliation. That is the love of the Holy Spirit that goes beyond any circumstance, goes beyond anything I want it to work out this way, but the very Spirit of God is with you and in you. That's the hope. That's the hope. Do you have that hope today? Do you have that hope? If you don't, ask. 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 Jesus says you don't have because you don't ask. It's available. It's available. Now, I want to lead us to the communion table. And, uh, you know, how do we know all this is true? How do we know that we can put our hope We can put our confidence. We don't have to play the probability games of circumstances. But we can trust in the presence of God. That we can focus on our life with God. We can do that because of what Jesus has done for us. Some of you may say, you know what, Jason, you don't know what I've been through. You don't understand the pain I've been through. And I would tell you, you're absolutely right. 
I don't. But the one who hung on that cross does. He does. And he went to the cross so that we could have reconciliation with God. So we can move from being enemies of God to being friends with God. What a blessing. What a promise. So this morning, we're reminded that um, Jesus gave us a meal to remember this by. He didn't just give us a propositional truth. He gave us an actual meal. So as brothers and sisters in Christ, if you put your faith, your trust in Jesus, doesn't mean you've got it all figured out, doesn't mean you're perfect, but you've taken that step. You may have simply prayed, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But we come together as a church family and we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples who were a dysfunctional bunch. And he, after giving thanks, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he said, this is, this is my blood shed for you, the blood of the new covenant, shed for the forgiveness of sin. So just as you receive the bread, would you? receive the cup. Now here's what we're going to do. I want to pray a prayer for you. It's actually on the prayer card that you can get from me on your way out. But I want to pray this prayer. And there's words in this prayer that I I believe will help us reflect, help us think about where you are right now. Not every word will apply to you. Some will apply to you. Some will apply to those whom you love. So as we prepare our hearts to go to the table, would you pray with me? Jesus, we come to you this morning and we say, help us to see and feel your presence where we can't now see and feel you working. Holy Spirit, show us where the pain of our circumstances, our relationships, our failures, our illnesses have kept us from experiencing the pouring out of your love into our hearts. Show us where our successes, our titles, our stuff, and our idols have kept us from depending on the outpouring of your love into our hearts. Show us where our sin has numbed our hearts to your presence and has limited our productivity for your kingdom and robbed us of the joy and peace that you provide. Revive our spirits through your Holy Spirit, Lord, and help us to see beyond our own perspective and see that you are always working and that your work is so much bigger than just our individual lives and our circumstances. Be with us now as we receive the bread and the cup. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come now. The table is open.